Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here without my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli, but we are joined by a very special guest. So we're going to jump right into that without any delayed introductions, because we're joined by none other than the Ringer's Mirren Fader. How's it going today? Hi, Adam. It's good. I'm so happy to be with you. Oh, right back at you. You know, we've texted so much and worked together on this uh, the book you have coming out. So it's it's nice to get this face-to-face interaction and, and get a chance to kind of debrief about the whole process. Well, I was going to say, I need everyone to listen and understand that your podcast host, Adam, is a tremendous fact-checker. He fact-checked the whole book, and I was so happy that you did this because you fact-checked my work at Bleacher for years. And, you know, I trusted you with this book. It was the most important assignment of my life. And um, I'm so thrilled that we were able to work together and now talk about it because you did a tremendous job. So I'm very thankful. I appreciate it for sure. But this is supposed to be gassing you up, not me. I mean, I'll I'll take it. But (laughs) we're going to have to tip the scales back in your balance here. But just before we dive into it, the details about the book, Giannis, the improbable rise of an MV, of an NBA MVP coming out on August 10th, right? Yes. That's yes. less than a week from today. So how, how are we feeling? We're feeling anxious. We're feeling excited, nervous, scared, happy, weird, tired, energized, all the feelings, all the feelings. It's basically <laughs> like insert adjective here. One minute, I'm just like, okay, it's going to be fine. I got this. The next minute, I'm like, I'm so nervous. What if they don't like it? And the next minute, I'm like, okay, it's going to be great. I'm excited. This is so cool. Next minute, I'm nervous again. So I've been like heavily caffeinated and uh, just just trying to stay awake. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I get the nerves. I I totally do just because it's such a big project. But having read everything in such detail and having seen the reaction with various reviews and the excerpt that you posted on The Ringer, and even having like my wife read the introduction and she's not a basketball fan and she was totally into it and wants to read the whole book now because it really always felt to me more like a human interest story that happened to be about a basketball player than a pure right. basketball book, which I know was was your intention too. Exactly. Like, I think it's funny because as I was doing the book, I was like, wait, I need to add more basketball. Like, wait, I forgot <laughs> this playoff series. Wait, we got to add stuff about the jumper. You know, there's so much human stuff that, you know, it really, for me, I really worked hard to create a balance because I want people that know nothing about basketball to dig this book. And I want people that are basketball nerds to have what they want in their like new information about Giannis. So trying to have that balance was important. And especially as you know, there was so much that happened in his childhood. It was a real struggle to not begin America on page 300, but I can't be releasing like Barack Obama length, you know, books in two volumes. So I have to, (laughs) I had to scale it back. Yeah, I really felt like the most compelling portions were the pre-America sections. You know, from a fact-checking perspective, I think the most difficult part of it was the political stuff within Greece, specifically like talking about the Golden Dawn far-right political party where, you know, I I don't think I anticipated when we first talked that I was going to be watching like two-hour documentaries on Greek political parties as part of the fact-checking process. So I'm curious both what was most compelling to you before he arrived in America and what the toughest part was to write about. 
Yeah, you know, I hadn't heard of Golden Dawn before I embarked on this. I don't know about you, but that was just something that I didn't learn about. I know you have a classics background, so you were more familiar with, you know, Greece and but I really wasn't, you know. And I think for me, it's just that it was so much uncharted territory. I feel like people really don't know anything about that time period in Giannis's life except sold trinkets by the street. And for me, I'm like, okay, but which street? Where? What do they sell? How much should they make? What do they do when they didn't have food? Like I just had a thousand questions. And so for me, it was so important to not just include the challenges, but also moments of joy and levity and laughter and love and and try to show the most complete picture possible. I think, you know, some people might look at the book and say, wow, you know, there's two pages about this Nazi group, uh, Golden Dawn, that was patrolling the neighborhood. But it's like, you have to put that because Giannis and his family don't exist in a vacuum. They are living in a culture that treats them differently because they are Black in a white country. And that's important to have. So I think for me, I was like, how can I explore identity without making it feel like a dense history book? And I would imagine that that was an even more difficult challenge because of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. I know that you know, this this book for for listeners who who aren't aware, and I know that you've talked about this in a number of places, was completed in a year, which is yes. a lot less time than you typically receive for a book, particularly your first book. And you weren't able yes. to travel to Greece because of the pandemic, which meant that you're relying on you know translators and you know, secondhand accounts of these places. So. Was that process more difficult, less difficult than you imagined? And do you, do you think the book gained something just from having to have those perspectives included? It was way more difficult. I know you can probably look through your email right now and search my name and find like a thousand <laughs> photos and videos. Here's a random street in Sepolia. I just want you to know that this description is based off of this. And, um, you know, it was a bunch of that, right? And I, I didn't, I mean, I knew it was going to be hard I mean, I signed the book deal mid-March 2020 and, you know, I panicked at first because that's just a normal reaction for a journalist that has this giant assignment in the most awful of circumstances with virtual reporting. But then as I was starting to like find my groove in doing Zoom interviews and stuff like that, I was like, well, this is the situation and I don't have time to panic and I don't have time to freak out. Like I have to just get it done. And I think it made me a better reporter because I could ask, you know, people living in Sepolia and living in, in Athens, just like when you look outside your door, what do you see? Paint the picture for me because I can't be there. And I think it pushed me to be even more relentless than I normally would about getting those details because I wanted people to open these pages and you know, hear the sounds of Sepolia, smell the streets, feel like they're walking with Giannis. And that just came from 221 interviews. So um, it was really, really hard. And the time element was tough too, because, you know, when we used to do stuff at Bleacher together, my process was pretty simple in the sense of I would do all my reporting, then I would write it. But this, I had 20,000 words a month due to my publisher. And so I had to, it's a lot of words. A I had lot. to, it's a lot of words. I had to report and write and report and write all at once. So I was completely out of my element. That's just not how I work. And it was hard to know like what should go in each chapter because I don't 
I haven't reported the whole thing out yet. So I don't really know like what's mm-hmm. going to go where. So I think the whole time I was just like, just trying to be kind to myself and just say, you know what, this is a new process. We're going to try our best. Did you have any trepidation when accepting the contract in the first place because you didn't know where the story was going to go? And I'll, I'll preface that by saying, and, and this is my time to sing your praises, you know, even before we started working together, I, I told people that I thought you were as good as it gets in this industry because you of your ability to parse out the emotional core of a story and build on that. You know, I, I think that's true for basically everything you wrote at Bleacher Report, at The Ringer, where there's a clear like emotional portion of the story that resonates. Uh, and, and without knowing where exactly was it, it was going to go, did that make it more difficult to take on the project in the first place? Yeah, thank you for saying that. It definitely did. I was really um, just like second guessing myself, like how, because I just don't, you're going into something blind, right? Like, yes, I spent the day with Giannis and his family. Yes, I talked to the mom, which is something that people don't do. Yes, I, you know, spent time with Giannis and was observing how they interact. But essentially, it it was a blank canvas, not knowing where it would go. And sometimes I, I have a sense of where things are going with my stories because I'm not working on something for a year. You know, and it's a weird feeling to be like, all right, I have a year go mm-hmm. and not really know which which thread do you pull first. Um, it's it's just such a gargantuan task. It's so overwhelming. So what helped me, especially focus on the emotional aspect, like you're saying, is to shrink it to like 15 assignments. I started looking at it like this is 15 long forms. Now that might seem like, oh my God, that's a lot, but that's a whole lot better mentally for me than 120,000 words. Um, So I was able to get really down to the nitty gritty and just treat each chapter like it was a BR story, basically. Yeah, fair enough. And I I think that, you know, you you said that you didn't really know where it was going at first. And I think that's true even with the end, because as as you're writing this, like you don't know. Is Giannis going to sign the Supermax extension to stay in Milwaukee? Is he going to depart? So, you know, that's that's kind of where the book finishes, which makes it even more fascinating that the timing worked out so that this is being released <laughs> in the aftermath of the Bucks winning a title. So I was kind of hoping oh that you could just take our listeners through your reactions to the Bucks' journey through the playoffs. <laughs> you know, ha- having texted with you throughout it, it was like every time <laughs> there was a close game. Like I was, I was watching uh, the the second to last game with the Nets, which I believe is the one where Kevin Durant's foot was on the line. Just yes. the I was watching that with some friends in a restaurant. Um, we had like our phones out and we were watching it there. And I'm like getting the text from you, like, "Oh my goodness! Like I can't believe." What <laughs> They need to win this game. <laughs> My text to you can be summed up as a thousand trillion exclamation points <laughs> or WTF or the head swoosh emoji that's exploding or like the shocked face. Um, yeah, I was an emotional wreck throughout this playoffs. Um, I was living and dying with the Bucks. It's just, I'm not used to feeling these things. You know, we're not supposed to cheer in the press box, but definitely did not know where it was going. And the thing is, is that a lot of people are like, how did you know that the book was going to come out at this point? And, and I'm like, no, I didn't. There's just, I just got lucky, you know? I mean, when I did this story on Giannis and Alex for Bleacher, Giannis hadn't even won his first MVP. Like I just, 
again, it's just serendipity. Like I didn't even think I was going to talk to Giannis. I came to profile Alex because, you know, at BR, we do a lot of like, who's next? Who's the next big prospect? And then Giannis just happens to be there. And then we just organically spend the day together. So that was lucky. And then there was this fear for me, like, I have no idea how the book is going to end because I know I want it to end on whether he stays or goes. But if it's coming out in August, 2021, which we thought was like peak free agency right now, and we thought he'd still be making his decision. I don't know how to end it. So I essentially was like, I'm going to just worry about that. I'm going to schedule my worry for another point and I'm going to do that last. And then in December of 2020, he decides to stay. And the, the irony is that I announced that I was writing this book about 15 seconds before Giannis decided he was staying and everyone thought that I knew (laughs) his decision and it was complete luck. Once again, I had no idea. And then for them to go on this title run would be like the final moment of serendipity. So I think what this teaches me is that just stay open. Sometimes it can be exhilarating when you don't know and incredibly scary, but you can't control what you can't control. And, you know, I know there is going to be an epilogue for the paperback edition. So I'll finally be able to update that. But I still think it ends on a note that makes sense, even if it doesn't include the title run. I, I totally agree with you. And I thoroughly enjoyed that playoff run just for so many different reasons. It was like every <laughs> round there was this new like reason for me to to be totally fine with either side. So like the, the right. conference finals, like I'm wearing an Atlanta Hawks hat as we speak. Right. So it was like, okay, <laughs> if my favorite that. team wins, like so be it. If the team that I now have this personal connection to wins, <laughs> great. Then we get to the finals and Chris Paul is one of my all-time favorite players. And, you know, I've, I've long hated that, that narrative that he succumbs to the moment um, in the playoffs. So I was like, okay, either he's going to get a ring or Giannis is going to get a ring again. Like I'm cool with either one happening. So it was just like one great moment after another from my end. That's so funny. I know you and I, like we really, um, because you put in so much work on this right? Like it's personal. Like when you pour over material like that for so long, it's, you you cannot help but feel tied to it, you know? And like, I'm curious for you, like when you'd watch Giannis, did you also like keep thinking of moments in his life? Cause I know that when I watched him in those playoffs, like I just, I would just think of like, Oh, remember that one time when he was 14 and it's like, I can't see him the same. 100%. 100%. You see him sleeping on the mat in the gym in Sepolia. You see him, you yeah. know, traveling and, and hearing insults from local fans. And then, you know, the the early stage interviews that he was giving and in, in the broken English and everything. Like, it, it was just one memory flooding back after another one. So, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it was great. And I, I felt like I had a particular emotional connection to the book and to him just because of the stage that I was at in my professional career where I, I was still at Bleacher Report at the time working as a quality editor, but I was seriously considering leaving the sports writing industry. It had just kind of burnt me out a little bit. I was ready to pursue something new. You know, I have a, I have a two and a half year old at son, uh, son at home. So it just felt like it was time to look elsewhere because I'd kind of lost that passion for the sports industry, which people who have known me since I was a kid would find a hilarious statement. And then like working on this and just realizing how much I enjoy this type of content when it's done so well as the book is it totally reinvigorated me and pushed me to move on to the job that i'm at now at sports casting so it it had such a personal connection 
for me that it was, it was, I don't think I've ever rooted against the Hawks in my life, but I was probably leaning <laughs> oh even God. more strongly towards the Milwaukee side during that series. And I hope some of my friends are Aww. not listening to this part now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Adam, like this makes me emotional because, you know, like you are so awesome. You know, like I, I remember just being at BR and I just see you in the margins of the Google doc and it's like, okay, good. Like Adam's on the doc. It's going to be okay. You know? And like, it's been a fun journey. it was the same yeah. way. Yeah. Right. And like, you just, you did such an amazing job with this book. And the, I loved how you would write in the comments because you have your classics background, you would give additional information and you were like the perfect person for this. Um, and I'm sure others out there would probably love to have you fact check them because you yeah, should. Anyone, yeah. any any book people listening, <laughs> hire Adam. Full endorsement here. Um, this is not why I invited you on. For this, this is episode, not why you had way. me on. I'm embar- <laughs> I'm embarrassing him, and I'm okay with it because I want people to know. You know, I really, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I really just hate this idea of like the self-made writer and like, mm. oh my God, I am so good. You know, it's just BS. Put more hours like, in, don't accept pay. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, if like, you're privileged enough to go that route. Yeah. It's stupid hustle culture. And it also like ignores all the people that helped you. And like, you know, yes, I wrote Giannis, but you fact check the frick out of it and it wouldn't have been possible without you. And like, writing is a collaborative communal activity and um you know I'm happy to be at the ringer obviously but yeah I miss like our team at BR and and just how collaborative we were so it was just it was so cool to reconnect with you for this it was so cool absolutely and I, I want to do it again on whatever the next book yeah. is gonna be. we got to find a new topic so we yeah. should brainstorm speaking of the future though I feel like <laughs> you are one of the most uniquely qualified people to answer this question. You know, oh my God. Giannis is now a two-time MVP. He's an, MV- he's an NBA champion. He's a finals MVP. He's achieved basically every goal that can be achieved at this stage of an NBA career. So what's going to motivate him moving forward? Honestly, I think that he is so relentless. He will never be satisfied on the court ever in any way possible. But um, I think that, I'm, I think he, his impact is beyond basketball now. I think that he now has matured into this person that is captivating a global audience. And I think he, I hope he chooses to use his platform to talk more openly about issues outside of basketball and social issues and racial issues. And I think exploring more of his Nigerian identity is something that a lot of people, you know, from Lagos and and other areas would love from him and I think that I think we're just going to see somebody blossoming into their own off the court too because we we saw it on the court but now he knows the power that his words have and his following and I just think he is growing more and more comfortable with his voice and as you know like that's a journey in the book as well going from somebody that doesn't want to open their mouth at all Mm -hmm. to being a little more hesitant to speaking up more to showing a little bit more of himself and I, I just think he's only 26 years old so you know I think part of um the journey now is going to be the voice Cut me off here if I'm revealing too many details from the as of now unreleased book. But one of the portions that really stood out to me was the fact that you included the criticism from back home for him, where Mm. as he's developing this voice and starting to speak out 
about you know the, the Black Lives Matter protests because those events unfolded in such close proximity to where the Bucks play that there was criticism from Greece and and these Greek countrymen uh, because he has not necessarily used that voice to speak about the racial issues back at home. So yeah, exactly. Is that the next step you think? Yeah, I do. And I, I think that um, it was really important for me to interview, I guess, for context, before I answer that, it was really important for me to interview other Black Greek players that either knew him growing up, that were friends with him, or just other Black Greek people living in Athens, because I wanted to know what their experiences were like to kind of shed light on what Giannis's was and is now. And you know, Giannis was able to ascend in ways that these people were not because they didn't get their citizenship fast tracked the way Giannis's was. And showing their stories is also kind of like a striking contrast to Giannis um, in the sense of had Giannis not made the NBA, likely his future would have ended up perhaps like these people if he didn't get a shot playing overseas or anything like that. So um, it is really important to show that it is not this like American dream, work hard and you will achieve everything. Life is a meritocracy. Like a lot of luck was involved. And yes, he worked hard once he got the opportunity, but all these other black Greeks also worked hard. They just didn't get the chance to ascend and the way that he did. So I thought that was just super important to have in there. And then to have those players that knew him growing up that are also children of, of, you know, Nigerian parents to say like, look, Giannis, like we're suffering over here. Like we want you to speak up more about race. And he is, he, he definitely is. But I think people back home would like to see more of it. And I think they said it in the book in such a respectful way that it's like, look, I would never say anything bad about Giannis. I love Giannis, but he doesn't need to be a Colin Kaepernick. He doesn't need to be a Muhammad Ali, but I think he recognizes he has this platform and need to speak up. And, you know, we, we'd want to see it. I think one of my favorite quotes in the book comes from that section. And that guy who just said that quote, his name is um, Etinosa Everbenagi. And he played on Panathinaikos' youth system. And he and Giannis were friends growing up and played against each other. And I asked Etinosa, like, what do you want for the next generation of Black migrants, right? Like, we're thinking about beyond Giannis now. We're thinking about, like, not even just who's going to be the next Black Greek NBA player. We're just thinking about Black Greek people in Athens. And he said, I want them to be able to breathe and to dream. And that just hit me so much, you know? And so, yeah, it was just really important to have broader context in the book. Yeah, and I think that that phrase just resonates even more powerfully because I don't know if it was intended to refer to the I can't breathe slogan. Right, but right. You I just can't that. hear that without thinking about it and the connection. I was totally thinking that, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, just having read it, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you know he makes serious endeavors down that road because it seems like so much of his motivation too is making sure that his younger brothers, Alex in particular, do not have the same experiences that he did. You know, that's that's clear from right. the first couple pages. Right. 
yeah, one of my favorite Giannis quotes from our interview was like, it's easy to be motivated when you have everything. I didn't have a choice. And so, you know, for Giannis, he's just like keenly aware of, of the differences. You know, my baby brother's got a private school education. I, you know, went selling on beaches for two weeks at a time away from school. So um, he will never let his brothers get complacent. Like he will never let them think that they're great or they don't need to work anymore. Like think about it. Giannis has a $228 million deal. And he's still acting like the guy about to get cut. That still that hasn't bought a pair remarkable. of sneakers, right? Still hasn't bought a pair of sneakers. <laughs> nice detail. I know I can't get them out of. I like think that these. Oh, 2016 to 17, first time he bought first class seats. Like they just stuck in my head, you know. You know what else is stuck <laughs> in my head is how close my hawks were to getting him. Like that was. Oh my god! I enjoyed. I enjoyed You're every part of the book except for that one. And I think like I told you while, while I was working through that, like, I don't want to do this part. Like, this is too painful. I know. <laughs> I know. There needs to be an Atlanta Hawks trigger warning on the book because there are several moments that are just a little spicy and too much to handle. Fortunately, I think that Atlanta sports <laughs> fans are fairly used to disappointment. Like, <laughs> whether it's the Falcons, the Georgia Bulldogs, the Hawks, like we, right. we, we're, we're equipped to handle that at least. Okay. Okay. No <laughs> warning needed, but yes, I, uh, I really enjoyed reporting that because like, like I said at the beginning, like there was a little hesitancy for me, not hesitancy, but like a little worry. Like what if I don't have enough basketball stuff, you know, because I just love the, I just naturally mm -hmm. gravitate towards the human. Atlanta gave me the chance to get the basketball breaking stuff that people who are obsessed with basketball would appreciate like secret meetings in Italy and being in a shoddy basement and, and getting the staffers notes from the Hawks and, you know, Danny Ferry, the Hawks GM at the time took him like months to talk to me. And then he says at the end, we got through this without me crying. <laughs> That's how emotional it is for him to have lost on Giannis. And I can imagine Hawks fans felt the same way watching him. Yeah. And, and the basketball part of his story is so interesting too. You know, I, I, yeah, I remember that it is. I was doing NBA draft grades for Bleacher Report at the time, since I was still in the NBA writing game there. Uh, and it, it was a mad scramble to figure out like who this guy is enough to like actually <laughs> yeah. write a grade because he wasn't really on our radar and wasn't really on team's radar, except for a couple of organizations. Um, so there was, you know, we were figuring out if it was Adetokubo or Antetokounmpo. Um, right. And, you know, we went with the Nigerian name back then. And I remember writing that, you know, it seemed like he was at least a few years away from being a legitimate NBA player, which still gets called out on Twitter because there are old screenshots. Oh. And it's like, that wasn't actually that wrong. Like it took him. Let Adam live. <laughs> it took him a while <laughs> to like find his niche. I, I remember there was uh, there was one game against the Knicks late in his rookie season where he like really went against Carmelo Anthony. And that was the yes. moment to me where it was like, okay, like there's, there's something here. I don't know what it is yet, but there's right. something here. That, that something is not just the ability to compete because keep in mind, his body was not ready to compete at that point. So it was the competitive fire. It was the, the, the lack of being intimidated. He, one of my favorite anecdotes in the book is it might've been before that game or one of the preseason ones, but Giannis says to Josh Oppenheimer, the Bucks assistant coach, I'm going to bust Carmelo Anthony's ass. You know, Oppenheimer's looking at him like, 
I love it, but that's Carmelo Anthony, you know, love the spirit, love that you're not going to back down, but <laughs> Melo was in his prime, you know, but that's Giannis. Like he wanted to go after the big guys. Like I, I saw it against um, the thunder with Kevin Durant and Giannis's willingness to guard him and just getting so amped before the game. And I, I think he's always had that drive. What, morphed that something into something was the body having the body to match yeah i totally agree and i think that that competitive fire is still so obvious to this day now the 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 free throw shooting was a big narrative during these playoffs because you know all of a sudden there's a significant weakness a crack in the armor that could like totally derail the bucks and you know i I know that you were a little worried that that might be the persisting (laughs) narrative coming out of the postseason But to me, at least, it ended up almost being more of a positive because in contrast to Ben Simmons, who shied away from contact and refused to shoot because he didn't want to be exposed to the free throw line, if Giannis airballed one, he made the next one and then he attacked the basket on the next possession. And I think seeing that mentality on full display, to me, it ended up making me like the guy even more. Totally. And, and that he was open about his struggles, you know, that clip with PJ Tucker, like I've been through the worst I've airballed free throws, whatever. Like I'm not, he is not afraid of failure. And it, it, in him, him being vulnerable to not just obviously fail in front of millions of people who are counting down and making Sesame street, the count memes on Twitter, but to talk about it and be so, not ashamed it just endeared him further to people and this is why I think that Giannis is just so likable because he is far from the person that thinks he has it all down like we can relate to that you know like usually like you're not supposed to show any kind of weakness you're supposed to be upset or ashamed at anything and of course it upsets him he wants to make them but I just you're right like I think there was a shift um there was a shift a major shift between he's not in his bag to like, oh my God, one of the greats and we're okay with his failures because he is working on, I don't know, the the narrative just shifted so much. And um, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, really. And I thought this was the funny thing. I don't know if I texted this to you or somebody else, but I was like, what if he wins this game on free throws? Like, what if it was he me. wins it on Yeah, and he, he almost you? did. Okay. <laughs> he almost did because he kept making them. And I was just, you know, like, wouldn't that be something if he wins a game with free throws? Like that would just be like the ultimate wow, you know? Um, So that was just so fun. What was your favorite quote from the postseason, and why was it the one about ego? How's that for a leading question? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Obsessed with this quote. And I've thought about it so much, especially in terms of ironically, this book and like, you know, I didn't realize like thinking so far in advance, like my anxiety about it and what will happen and all this is a form of like ego or um, it just, he just reminded me to be present and, and just stay in the moment. And that is very hard to do, but I just kept watching. I think I've watched that clip like a hundred times. It's just so, it sounds so reasonable and so real and so honest. And when I think about it, I'm like, you know what? You're right. Because I'm not somebody that like thinks about past success and is like, oh yeah, that one article I did. Like, you know, I'm perpetually like insecure about my work, like every other writer. <laughs> but but to stay in the moment is what I took from that. And I, I loved it so much. And I just keep thinking like, God, he's only 26. Like I want Giannis to end up working like, 
some kind of senator, like some ambassador. Like, I just think he's just so smart and can do so much with his life. Um, I don't know if you remember the Obama quote that made the book where Obama and I think it was Chris Paul and Giannis were on a panel a couple of years back. And Obama was like, Giannis, like you should show more of yourself. Like you should, you should show more. And I think he's doing that. I think this playoffs was him showing more. We got a real glimpse into how he thinks, not just how he plays, how he thinks. I agree with that for sure. And I think there are so many portions in the book where you get unique insight into so many different sides of his personality because he is this serious, introspective, underage philosopher. And he is this goofball who makes dad jokes at the podium, which I fully respect. And he (laughs) loves smoothies and he's not afraid to share it. You know, there, there are just so many different sides to his personality. And it just felt like throughout the book, you see him... I don't want to say becoming comfortable with himself because I think even at an early age, it seems like he was comfortable with himself, but probably becoming more assured of himself and his personality. Yeah, exactly. Like I think people forget that as these guys are maturing as basketball players, they're maturing as human beings. And you look at your twenties to your thirties, that this is peak adulting, peak maturing, and he's, he's blooming in those ways. Um, It's just that we don't always talk about that, you know? Um, like this morning I saw something about like Simone Biles's, um, aunt had died during the Olympics. And I was like, dude, like we have no idea what's going on with these people. Okay. Like this is why I always say bring humanity into it. We have no idea what she was battling, you know, and it's the same with Giannis. It's the same with all of them. Like there's just so much that goes beyond what they do on the court. I'm going to deviate big time and go down this on this tangent because you mentioned Simone Biles and I would love to know if you were encouraged or discouraged by the reaction that we saw when she withdrew from these Olympic events. It's weird because you know I follow people that are very similar to me very progressive (laughs) very um, supportive and empathetic and open and saw this as a real amazing courageous thing that she did but then I saw you know, obviously I pay attention to people who think differently than me. And I was totally disgusted by their coverage. And so overall, I would just say, I felt like there were more negative voices than positive um, when I step outside of my bubble. Mm. And I was just extremely discouraged. And I, I just, I can't, I can't understand how, if Simone Biles is okay with sitting down, you can't be okay with it. Like if she is, if she's cool with it, how others can't be cool with it. Mm. You know, like it's her life. It's her, it's her situation. It's her, I mean, you know, I will never be an athlete of her magnitude, living her life, being in her shoes, but I absolutely know what it's like to feel so much things at once and need to take a step back and have not done what she did. That's the thing that I just kept thinking of. Like, I wish I could have done what she did at some points in my life, but I didn't. And I think um, she's a real role model and she, she was very inspiring. Of course, I was just also upset. Like, God, I really wish that I could write a profile on her and, you know, Naomi you knew where I was going with this. <laughs> oh, I knew, I knew. And I, you know, I have been trying to profile Naomi Osaka speaking of for like two years now. And, um, Carrie Richardson as well um, with the Olympics and I've been pursuing that story and 
I want all of these stories because I just, people are not, not necessarily looking to tell like a story that listens to them and, and is empathetic and just wants to tell their story, not have a viewpoint. Um, yeah, we need more storytellers like that. So I'm going to not give up on these profiles because I think when those women are ready to talk, um, yeah, I would love to do it. But of course, there's something really else. Yeah, and, and also if they never want to share their story or tell what they're going through, I 100% understand and respect that too, you know? I'm just like, if I wasn't a journalist, I think I'd have the same exact point of view. Like, do you? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I... I'm never going to know what it feels like to be you. How could I ever judge you? You know, um, all I wish for them is peace. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. I can't, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine what they're going through right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I think for me, I, I was both encouraged and discouraged with yeah. regards to Biles where it felt like there was such an outpouring of support. And then of course there were the dissenting voices, but it felt like a lot of those unsupportive voices were at least ones where we pretty much expected that reaction. Yeah. And I right think wing. that there were, there were more people speaking up who I didn't necessarily expect to say anything, mm. not because I wouldn't mm. have expected them to say anything good, but just because I wouldn't have expected them to say anything in general. And right. nice to see like that the conversation is at least progressing to that point. There's still such a long way to go. Um, specifically as it relates to, to mental health and athletes, but it just, it feels like a continuation of the trend where at least we're talking about it. Yeah. It's so different. Like, um, you know, Simone Manuel, the swimmer, like put a tweet yesterday or maybe a couple of days before about how, like, you know, my mental health is the most important thing and it's not about winning. And I, you know, people might look at her performance and say, wow, she didn't follow up her glory, but mm -hmm. she gave it her all. And she went through a lot just to get there. Um, and that's why I, that's honestly, that's why I love doing these stories. And now this book, because it's just like, isn't that, isn't that more interesting, the things that it took to get a person to success rather than just like, everything's amazing, 20 points a game. Like personally, I'm just, I think there's never been a greater hunger to know people's stories that we admire do you have any ideas for the next book yet you know I do and I don't know if I texted to you or not but I'm I, I will after this certainly if I haven't but I am like really debating between like current or retired because as you mm -hmm. know most books are about retired players and I'm sure right. it would have been a hell of a lot easier doing a book on somebody retired but now I'm seeing the excitement about a player in real time and how maybe that's advantageous to, to write about a current person and, you know, how it can morph naturally from a story that I've already done. So I'm looking at stories that I've done on players that I've already profiled and thinking, could I turn that into a book? But then I'm like, mm, there's this one retired player that fascinates me and maybe I should go with that. So I don't know, but I need to figure it out. But life is moving so fast. I can't like, I can't stop and think and I need to stop and think. Yeah, I, I want the secret details as as soon as we're done here. Texting <laughs> um, you immediately with a lot of exclamations and emojis, stream of consciousness <laughs> style, Mirren classic text message voice. Yep, yep I, I've gotten <laughs> to know that voice. So at the risk of of ruining Sorry. my ability to get these, uh, <laughs> at the risk of ruining my ability to get the secret details, I'm going to put you on the spot here 
And I know oh that God. you read a ton. I know that you digest a ton of podcasts and articles about writing itself. And I know that yeah. a lot of our listeners like to read great sports books. So mm-hmm. in Mirren Fader's opinion, what are the quintessential sports sports related books? Oh my God. Okay. Well, The Last Hero, which is the Hank Aaron book by Howard Bryant. It's over there. I would say Jeff Perlman's Showtime. I would say Jane Levy's book on Sandy Koufax. Jack McCollum's Dream Team. Jack McCollum's Seven Seconds or Less. Um, oh, Marcus Thompson, um, Golden. Um, this is not a book, but it's a collection of Gary Smith's uh, best stories for Sports Illustrated. It's called Going Deep. Um, absolute must read. I think I've read it like three times. And um, concurrently, Wright Thompson's um, anthology, which is, I think it's called These Dreams of Ours or something. Or what is, I don't know. Look up Wright Thompson's anthology. But also, Wright Thompson just wrote a book that is not sports and it is so good. I'm going to add it to this list called Pappy Land. Um, don't know if you know this, Adam. I don't drink at all. But yeah, Wright Thompson made me. it's just us too amazing (laughs) um right thompson made me love a book about bourbon like it's Mm. literally a book about alcohol and i never thought that i would devour a book like that but right thompson is so freaking good because it's never about the thing it's never about the sport you know it's about family and love and heartbreak and failure and and father and son so that's my list if i forgot endorsement of the last one Oh my God. I'm telling you like us, like team sober, you will enjoy that. (laughs) I'm I'm glad that you mentioned the Perlman ones though, because I I feel, I know that you and and he have talked on his podcast a number of times and interacted a bunch, but to me, like having read Showtime and and the more recent book on the Lakers uh, with the Shaq Kobe era, um, it, it really felt to me like that influence was everywhere in the Giannis book. Because uh, yeah. when I think about Jeff Perlman, and he and I have, have not interacted, um, but I, I always think about how he has one more interview, and it shows yes. up on every page, because there's that one extra anecdote, there's that one extra layer of detail, and I couldn't help but see that in every single chapter of this book. I mean, wow, that makes me really happy to hear because Jeff is one of my best friends. He's my mentor. I've read every book he's ever written. I copied him essentially that make the extra call. Like, you know, he always tells me that like you can control how hard you work. There's always going to be a better writer, but there's don't let anyone outwork you. You've got to get that extra gem and that anecdote and make the extra call. And it's not just a a coffee it's a mocha with a drizzle of caramel and this and that so every time I do that it's Jeff every time I do a one-word sentence or something weird you know grammatically Mm -hmm. or structurally it's Jeff the way Jeff can zoom in on a player and then zoom back out to the game and then zoom back into the situation zoom back out that's Jeff like everything I've learned really came from him and you know it's it's such an emotional moment. He's actually going to be uh, hosting, co-hosting, I guess, a book event with me at a local bookstore awesome. in LA that 
I yeah, and I I'm gonna try not to cry um, when I go because <laughs> I actually went to that same bookstore to go to his event like three years ago or maybe two years for his USFL book, and I just remember being in the crowd and just you know because I've been to several Jeff events, but that one was so cool because he like shouted me out in the crowd and was like, you know, Mirren's a writer for Bleacher Report and now we're going to be on stage together and he's going to be asking me questions and that's like family. And, you know, so I think I'm going to like, try not to be a puddle of emotions. <laughs> if you have the details available, plug away. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, it's going to be on the 13th, um, Chevalier's bookstore in Los Angeles. We're still finalizing the time and stuff, but yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for that. It's going to, I'm really just, it's going to be cool. I mean, as you should be. So I don't want to take up too much of your day because I know that you're just on this constant tour of podcasts and radio and, <laughs> and every single kind of appearance you can make. So my last question to you is going to be, what are you most excited about for when the book comes out? Is it the feeling of relief that you're done? Is it for people to see a specific portion of it? Just the feeling of completeness? Wherever you want to go. Yeah. You know. I'm really excited to celebrate with my family. Um, you know, my parents told me the other day that they're really proud of me. And that is just like so amazing to hear, mm -hmm. you know? And um, I think we're just gonna have like a really nice dinner and I feel so grateful. And my mom definitely cried when she held the hardback in her hands for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And I think I'm just excited to like celebrate it with them. You know, they were there every step of the way. Like my parents were never like, Oh my God, why do you want to be a sports writer? Or even before that, why do you want to be a WNBA player? You know, they were always like, yes, yes. How can we help you get to what you want? So um, it's going to be like really surreal, I think. Um, and I'm just, as I said, I'm, I'm feeling so many different emotions and it's so weird when people are, it's awesome, but weird when people are tweeting the book, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, you spent your dollars on little old me. And you I know, know how much you've hated the self-promotion stuff too. <laughs> oh, it's been so weird. It's been so weird. I feel so uncomfortable. So um, so I'm just really looking forward to just like a dinner with my parents mm -hmm. and like celebrating with them. That's going to be so nice. For sure. Well, I, I cannot recommend the book strongly enough. Again, out on August 10th, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP by Mirren Fader, of course. If you haven't pre-ordered it already, do so. If you're not going to pre-order it, just wait until it's out in a bookstore and go pick it up because it will 100% be worth your while. I was beyond thrilled to have what I feel was a very small part in uh, helping this uh, come very to fruition. Large part. <laughs> large part. <laughs> but I, I just, I cannot recommend it strongly enough. So before you continue your, your press tour here, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to, to come on our show. Oh my God. Anything for you, Adam. Thank you again for just being you. So grateful, man. This was fun. Hey, right back at you. Go ahead and follow Mirren on Twitter at Mirren Fader, spelled like it sounds. You can follow me on Twitter at at Frommel09. Follow Hardwood Knox at Hardwood Knox and NBA Math at, at NBA underscore math. And we'll leave you with a shout out to the one, the only, Giannis. <laughs>